Yeah, I think if the most jarring was the cow farts, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I had no idea that eating meat had an impact on the environment, right? And uh, I think you told me that probably about six months ago um, in one of our late night discussions or whatever. But it wasn't, I didn't believe you, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. But you know, when you saw the data and when you saw that, um, I guess, what do they call it? The agricultural segment, right? Which is primarily, you know, the cows and the methane gas um, was, was double digit percentage of the overall emissions all emission sources, right? I think it was right next to cars or automobiles, whatever, right? That segment. Welcome to another episode of Animalia, where we bring wildlife conservation, climate change, and social justice together to help people connect the dots and get involved. So today on Animalia, we are actually taking a bit of a different step from talking to, you know, experts in the field on specific matters and talking to my father, uh, Jim Veraldi, about his sort of journey um, on the climate topic. For, for context, he born and raised in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, kind of grew up in a generation where this was not talked about often, you know, he will talk about this in the episode, but he, you know, politically leans more conservative, but is generally, you know, more of a moderate than I think what, what we think of conservatives today, but certainly leans that direction and has been going through, you know, some education of his own around climate change and some personal changes, uh, a lot in the last uh, year or so. And uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk about that because I think it's very important because there's a lot of people out there in, in his camp and a lot of people in my camp that are trying to find more productive ways and, you know, kind of mutually respectful and uh, um, practical ways to talk about, uh, to talk about this with people like, like my father. So um, dad, thanks for, thanks for joining. Let's start with just, you know, why don't uh, you sort of introduce yourself a little bit about like where you come from and then what your core values are just as a person, what's important to you. Uh, I think that'll help kind of lay a foundation for the rest of the chat. So, I mean, I was, you know, I'll say always born in the Midwest, but in Michigan, as you know, and uh, you know, from there I came East and landed in New Jersey working for Exxon Mobil. Um, and then basically I've spent the rest of my life out East with a few years in a couple other places, but, and those kind of shaped the values. And again, us coming from a, I'll say a strong tight knit Italian family, um, you know, classic male dominance back in those, that era or whatever, but, uh, you know, strong family values and, uh, you know, Italian Sunday dinners and grandma and things like that big network of cousins and those kinds of things. So those help shape your values as well as the, you know, spiritual side, which they were, you know, we were, you know, Catholics, you know, certainly, uh, you know, from going to church and going to Catholic schools and things like that. So that's kind of where my values, you know, developed or the foundations. And, you know, if I look today and say, it, to me, it always comes back to, uh, integrity. Um, and while that word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, I think that's why it's a good word. You know, it, it means, you know, honesty, it means trust, it means reliability, right? It means you're true to yourself, right? Those types of things. And I think that, you know, um, I try to act with integrity in everything I do. I'm certainly, uh, fail frequently. Um, but I really respect that in others, right? Um, and I know, you know, my children would say, yeah, th that dad always wanted us to be honest, right? I said, hey, if you do something stupid or bad or whatever, you know, I can't help you for lying to me, right? So uh, that honesty is, is, is important. I think another value that I learned kind of growing up was just work ethic, right? That, you know, that things take work 
you know, anything worth getting takes work. I mean, you know, once in a while I get lucky, something lands in your lap, maybe things like that. But, you know, I don't care whether it's, uh, you know, a relationship, a, a financial, you know, goal or whatever, right? It takes work and, and in some cases hard work. Um, so, you know, having a good work ethic, I think I saw, you know, certainly my father work hard, my mother work hard at the home, raising the kids, you know, and people around us, right? And, uh, you know, I think coming from that kind of strong work ethic background of kind of Metro Detroit, growing up as a kid, you know, was instilled in me as a very young age, right? I mean, I have been working since I was 14, not, you know, like digging ditches, but still always had a part-time job and things like that, even though, you know, it wasn't for, you know, essential expenses, right? Our family was, you know, fairly well off. Um, and then I think the, I mean, I've stressed the family that is extremely important, but I think it's uh, uh, some type of spiritual um, or faith foundation, right? So I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm fairly a, a strong Catholic, at least I try to be in my actions and certainly in my thoughts. And again, never perfect, but um, I respect people with a strong faith, right? And it doesn't have to be my faith but just a strong faith. I think that's a, a solid foundation. At least it helps guide me that I know there is some kind of higher power. You know, mine might be different than yours, but, you know, I, I certainly personally be, believe there is one, right? So um, that's kind of the foundation and the core values and a little bit like who I am, you know, besides just being Jay's dad. In terms of your like political and social societal values, um, you know, is it, is it fair to say you lean more conservative, uh, but would, would, would feel more generally more moderate? And then what are the just top one or two things for you that are important to you on a kind of societal, you know, or political basis? Yeah. So, you know, that's an interesting question and, and you know, while the spectrum of liberal conservative always been there, it has certainly become very amplified um, and probably stretched uh, in the last, I'll say at least 10, but maybe even longer, 20 years, right? Maybe it's been on, you know, a journey. So, you know. It's also I always mean, kind of changing and evolving. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is, right? Not, because yeah, there, there's, there's cornerstone cornerstone beliefs that kind of put you maybe on one side, right or left. And some of those cornerstones change from time to time, obviously. Right. Um, you know, uh, we're not talking about the right to vote anymore, but that certainly was a cornerstone right at that time. So, um, I would still say I'm conservative, um, you know, and, uh, I struggle sometimes because I'm not as conservative as some of the groups or affiliations that I belong to, um, you know, but, you know, for me, like if it's a, a religious thing, you know, that's between me and my maker, right. I'm still going to say, you know, I'm a Catholic, but you know, I may not be as far, um, you know, on the spectrum of that conservatism, um, as some Catholics would portrayed to be. And then on the same token, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I think, um, given the broad exposure of media that we have access to now, and if you take it in, you know, with a very small valve, right. Cause I think there is some good information out there. I mean, you do become exposed to, um, you know, the, uh, underprivileged, um, you know, the underserved, whether it's, you know, right in our country or around the world. Um, and you can't help but feel for that, right? You know, some may say that's a liberal point of view, but that to me, it's just a human point of view, right? Um, and, and that's where, you know, on those types of issues, right? Like I think, um, you know, you said, what's well, your, your, your social issues? Yes, I think, you know, uh, the tensions we have today are, are you know, well-rooted because they've been around for a long, long time, right? Um, it's, we've made tremendous progress if you look over the last, let's say 50, 60, 70 years, but it's not that it's not fast enough, but we shouldn't have to be doing it is kind of where we're at today, right? Um, I still think it's gonna take time, right? You know, some of it's generational, but, you know, for me, yes, I, I firmly believe that 
everybody should be treated equal regardless of skin color, race, creed, sexual orientation, whatever it might be, right? Um, so that puts me a little more on the liberal side than you know some of my conservative peers. Um, so yeah, it, it's tough for me, right, to say I'm, I'm one way or the other, but um, I think in a, in a lot of the, the cornerstones for me, I'm still probably more conservative than liberal. You know, switching gears to talking, starting to talk climate a little bit. Uh, you know, there's there's two, I think, macro questions or spectrums, if you will, that uh, that people fall into on this. And I'm going to ask you, like, where you fall on each spectrum as of today, and then and then we'll kind of go back and see how that might have uh, evolved for you. But so the first spectrum is the degree to which humans are responsible for changes to the climate. Um, uh, and re I would say responsible beyond, um, you know, what they, what, what, what we need to get by, um, not responsible just in terms of just living, but, um, you know, how much, you know, quote unquote damage we are causing in our modern system. Um, so that's one spectrum that people fall differently on because there's some people who would say, you know, it, we, we are very responsible for, um, the increasing climate conditions. There's some people who think climate is just changing naturally always, whether we are here or not, we, we would be in the same position. And then the second spectrum I want to, I want you to answer where you're on is how urgent, you know, um, you think the need to address it is. So again, there's some people who feel a tremendous sense of urgency. Um, obviously I fall in that camp. Um, that the damages are like the, the problems are going to increase, uh, continue to increase in the short term and um, potentially reach a point of no return in the long term. Um, and there's some people who feel there is no urgency, um, that the, the potential negative outcomes are, are so far out and so speculative um, that it just doesn't feel like a priority. So where do you feel, where do you fall on the spectrum of um, kind of the human contributions to the you know climate issues and then and then the sense of urgency um, on those issues. Yeah, so um, not that it's puzzling, but I the, the first spectrum I would say yes, humans are responsible, right? Um, there may be natural changes as well, but certainly I'm not a you know <laughs> any kind of astronomer, astronomer or physicist or whatever, but. Um, you know, because we are inhabiting this planet, we have changed the ecosystem. And, you know, those changes, um, you know, if I even even if you said, hey, there's some good changes we make, and there's some poor, poor changes or bad changes we make, certainly the, the changes, the, the bad far outweigh any good we have done, right? Um, with respect to climate change, and then and then ultimately, the obviously the the negative and possibly tragic offense. So on that spectrum, I would say, yeah, humans are responsible, right? Um, if not for 100%, you know, a percentage that's probably greater than 75 in my mind, um, not having, the, you know, read the research or anything like that, right? Um, on the other one, right? So, I mean, that centers around the sense of urgency, right? Um, and... For me personally, I mean, yes, in the last, you know, just year or two, I felt a greater sense of urgency um, due to some education, but I'm not going to kid you. I, I, don't, I don't feel that sense of urgency on a, you know, daily, weekly, monthly basis, right? I don't, I'm not getting up thinking about climate change, right? Which I think those with a true sense of urgency like yourself are probably doing i'm not saying it's obsession but it's it's you've incorporated into a lifestyle and i'm you know i think i've made changes and i'm more conscious and aware and things like that but um i think there has to be some urgency to the dialogue because the solutions are not easy to implement and the solutions will take a very long time as well. Right. Um, because some of them are, you know, behavioral changes and things like that, that, you know, take time. And then probably the overarching issue is that it's, it's, it's global in nature. Right. 
Um, I mean, yeah, you'd like to start with the uh, uh, the superpowers, so to speak, or the very large countries or large contributors, but um, you have to get some global con collaboration on that. So those couple issues alone, you know, as someone who would say, let's let's how do we plan for this? Since those issues alone are going to take a very long time, I think there's urgency to discuss, right? Um, I don't think it's an urgency to mandate, you know, certain things yet. Okay. And I think we should continue what we're doing, you know, whether it's auto emissions and factories and things like that. I think we still need to continue those types of, you know, regulations. Um, but I think there's a lot more discussion, collaboration and uh, education that has to be done, you know, at the same time. So, um, on the spectrum needing to make immediate changes, I'm not, I'm probably moderate, right? Um, and I would say needing to keep education, awareness, messaging, that kind of stuff. I think there's more of an urgency to be doing, you know, more of that for sure. So now let's, let's kind of go back in time to your upbringing and the generation you were raised in. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you grew up in Detroit. Um, son of uh, two Italian parents that um, they were first generation or second generation. Um, um, they were second, second. Generation, so their, right. their parents came yeah. over. Correct. And um, you know, I think ground, uh, I mean, for me, uh, grandpa, for you, for you, dad, but um, you know, grandpa was a extremely hardworking uh, person who, you know, grew up in a, you know, blue collar environment, a blue collar city and made a lot, uh, had a lot of, made a lot of himself from those kind of right. humble beginnings, um, through Ford. Um, I'm curious, like if you, you know, we have talked about this a little bit. There seems like there was no real back then mention of anything environmental. Um, nobody talked about it. It wasn't ever hitting news cycles. There wasn't, you know, what is that? Like, was there any, can you remember any that ever being a topic, whether it be, in school at the family dinner table with friends, or is this something that just people were just not talking about when you grew up? Yeah. I mean, well, I might've been young. I mean, you have to remember what time frame you're talking about. Right. So, you know, I, yes, I was around 60s, 70s and 80s, but parents were around in the forties and fifties, um, post-war winning the war and just utter prosperity. Right. I mean, just America was the, you know, just a land of riches, right? And we had everything and, you know, we just proved by winning a war and things like that. So um, that idea that, you know, in general, America was happy. People were working. There was a lot of blue collar, you know, jobs, white collar jobs, and, and even a place like Detroit, you know, was a hub, right? It was, you know, it's not like what it is today, but it, it attracted a lot of people, right? And there was big, you know, shows and, you know, the auto industry and things like that. So it was a, a cool place to be if you were an engineer or designer or whatever back in those days. But um, with that, there wasn't a lot of thought of climate change at all, right? I mean, um, you know, I hate to say it, but even like, you know, people would litter a lot more than they do today, right? The people would just throw stuff out their car, right? I mean, it was nothing to, you know, if you change the oil at home just to hose it down the driveway or throw it down the sewer, right? I mean, that was not unheard of, right? Because the notion that there was so much of this stuff, it didn't matter, right? Um, and plus, you know, you got to keep in mind where the media was at too, right? The media was primarily entertainment, right? I mean, you know, color TVs were just coming out, right? Um, yeah, there was news and stuff, but it, it, it wasn't, you know, educational, the kind of things we get today. So, you know, um, I mean, like recycling just started and it was more about, you know, hey, get a nickel to bring the bottles of, uh, you know, soda or pop back to the store. But there was no, re you know, you burned cardboard. Um, in our house, my father had an incinerator in the basement where you could just put stuff in and burn and it would just go up, you know, the chimney of the house where the fireplace and the uh, normal furnace was. So bonfires were very common. Um, I think the first I got an inkling that something was going on was um, 
when the government imposed a mission standard on the automakers. So, you know, my dad, your, your grandfather was a, you know, what they call an executive engineer, worked on the powertrain. So he was very much involved in when they had to make their cars more fuel efficient and emit less uh, carbon, right? Um, there was one summer where he worked like 110 days straight, literally always going to the office. Saturday, Sunday didn't matter because if they didn't meet certain goals, there was huge fines involved, right? So that's where we started to learn something was going on, right? You know, gas was whatever, 25 cents a gallon. Cars got, you know, five to 10 miles per gallon, didn't matter, right? There was no catalytic converters. And all of a sudden, right, something's going on that might not be good. So that would probably have been my first, you know, inkling when I was young of that there might be, you know, how people interact with the environment, right? Otherwise, I don't think many people made a connection at all back then. And then you started your career at Exxon. Right. Uh, of course, one of you know the biggest oil companies um, in the world still is still is today. Um, do you remember back then when you were there? Because that was that was what early eighties, early early eight, early mid eighties. Yeah. So what, yeah. what years? What years were you at Exxon exactly? Um, eighty one to eighty six. Eighty one, eighty six. Um, yeah. And then he did the he had the stint in France too. Uh, right. That was with Exxon as um, well. Right for a year. Yep. Yep. And what, you know, were there any talks do you remember internally at Exxon about, you know, the, the, the global warming that can come out of the burning of fossil fuels, the carbon emissions and, you know, what, Hey, long-term, you know, right now it doesn't seem maybe uh, incredibly problematic, but what happens 25, 50, hundred years from now, if we keep going at this rate and we don't invest in alternative energies, like, was that ever, talked about internally um, at Exxon or is it just not, um, it's just a. Yeah. So yeah, you, you got to get the time frame right. It's the early to mid eighties. Um, you know, I worked at the research and engineering group where those things should have been talked about, but again, I'm, I'm a kid out of college, right? I'm probably not at that table anywhere near it at that point, if they were talked about, but you know, a general feeling, if you say what was the buzz in the office or what was the culture or whatever that, um, we were going to run out of oil and we had to find new places to get it. Right. That was Exxon's thing, right? Because this is coming off the seventies, um, you know, middle Eastern oil embargoes, people in, in the States waited, you know, four or five hours to fill up a tank of gas. Right. You know what I mean? So we grew up not thinking of oil as a fossil fuel, but oil as kind of a source of power, right? Oh my God, the Middle East could just crunch us because if we don't have oil, we can't survive. And this was also, correct me if I'm wrong, this is before, you know, even modern technologies like fracking uh, existed to get natural gas. It was before deep water oil was, I believe back then, most of the ocean wells were shallow water. Yes, exactly, because it, it was cheaper to get, and that was what we would try to forecast, like how, how the, the price per barrel, how, would, how fast is that going up? Because to get oil either distant ocean or like what I spent six months working on was the Colorado shale project. How do we get oil from shale? The problem there, it was so remote, and you had to build roads and towns and basically a city, right, to re cover this stuff for the years. And it, and it didn't make sense unless oil was X dollars a barrel. So that's where Exxon was, right? Saying, hey, we got to make sure that we can supply, you know, the world with oil. Um, and, you know, that's where they were, right? Because Exxon, you know, they make all their money finding the oil, right? <laughs> Everything else is round off. Um, and that's, there was no talk. I don't remember talk of global warming probably for you know, 10, 15 years after I left Exxon, you know, take me to the 2000s or something. Yeah, it just segues into my, my next question was, you know, you mentioned the first time you had a sniff that something was going on was, you know, in the emissions caps conversations at the motor companies and, and, and right. your father, you know, kind of being in the office long hours. I'm curious when you, you know, looking back, when's the first time you kind of remember climate issues, climate change, 
uh, global warming, I think, you know, probably started more on the ozone discussion before moving into, you know, greenhouse gases and global warming. Um, but when do you remember that sort of becoming more widespread discussed? Uh, you know, I believe it was the 88 presidential election was kind of the first time that it was even in, like in the debates. Right. Um, um, and that was very ozone centric. Um, is that is that around the time you remember, you know, kind of? No, I think you're right. That ozone conversation, I think, got everybody to kind of cock their head a bit and go, huh, what? Right. Um, and, you know, some, I would say a lot of people, probably including me, you know, dove into a 20%. What are they talking about? What's this? Oh, okay, I got it. Oh, yeah, it's really far away. Right. <laughs> um, and some people dug in a little deeper. And then there's that always that, you know, huge chunk of just ignores everything. Right. But that I think got people to say, okay, there's again, there's something going on with the interaction. Right. But for me, that was still like news and something I didn't grasp on. I mean, if I just had to say, Hey, you know, I'm busy raising kids and it sounds like a weak excuse, but there was a lot of activity, you know, in my life personally. So I didn't, even have the time to, you know, even delve into the issue from a reading standpoint, or in a lot of cases, you know, even have, have discussions about them. But I think for me, if I fast forward 10 years from then, when I got um, uh, remarried, that would be 98, and we took a, a cruise up to uh, the uh, outside of Alaska, right? And you see the beautiful, you know, icebergs and things like that. Um, that's where I'll say the 1% or less, hey, if, it, if the temperature increases just 1%, I understood the magnitude of the change at that point, right? I mean, this giant iceberg just being 1% smaller or whatever 1% degree change would be, 10% smaller and how much water that would be and how much land, right, would be covered by that very, very small incremental change because it's, it's vast, right? when you look at something like that. So that for me was kind of the first time it hit me, um, you know, late nineties. And, you know, I think some of the other stuff is, is honestly even, you know, some of the movies that I've seen, right. Um, you know, where, where, where companies are just polluting, uh, you know, the waterways, the earth, whatever that, uh, what was it, Aaron Brockovich or whatever. Right. Um, you know, that kind of hit me hard. I mean, people were dying because of this, right? Um, you know, forget about just even harming the planet, right? So, you know, I think we've made some strides there. Hopefully we have, um, but there's still a tremendous way to go. The climate discussions have really accelerated, you know, in the last decade. Um, you know, even even before, you know, this 2020, which we'll get to um, where it's kind of uh, batting us over the head. Um, and it's, it's hard now, not, it's, a, it's hard for me to fathom anybody could, could ignore it at this point, but even prior to this year, they started accelerating in the last, um, last decade. Uh, and, um, you know, I, you know, prior to the, to some of the changes, which we'll get to, you started making in the last year or so. And, um, we'll talk as well about the kind of class we took together this summer. Um, when you started hearing about, you know, what were your viewpoints on, you know, kind of environmentalists? Um, did you think of them as sort of, um, you know, Woodstock hippie kind of tree lover type yeah. type folks, kind of fringe movement um, of a community that, hey, good for them, but this this not this is not really important to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say without a doubt, right, it, in a lot of cases, right? I mean, they were people I couldn't relate to, right, um, either by lifestyle or by area of the country they lived in kind of thing, right? Um, knew of them but didn't know any of them kind of syndrome, you know, and you tend to stereotype, yep, they're trying to save the forest, they're trying to save the trees, um, you know, meanwhile, I'm busting my ass trying to buy a house made out of wood, kind of idea, right? And so it's it's interesting, I think, that section of people, like now I look in hindsight, you know, 
I highly respect because they were ahead of the curve with what they were trying to do, right? But I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, I'll say, well, I was too busy or it wasn't affecting me, right? Kind of the not in my backyard syndrome, um, you know, also came into play in a lot of those things, right? So, you know, um, I think a lot of us, and I do certainly at times just say, well, it's not affecting me or my day-to-day -day life, then, you know, I don't have to, to deal with it, so to speak, right? Um, and I think as I've become less busy schedule-wise than when you're, you know, raising, uh, you know, four kids or whatever, um, right, I think you have time to become more pensive, right? And, and start thinking about these things more. Even for me, if I'm being honest with myself, um, you know, I think 15 years ago, it it was for me. It wasn't even just that I wasn't paying attention it, to it. I would actually sort of, you know, uh, you know, in, in jest, but you know, crack jokes at vegans or Prius drivers. Um, you know, and 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 again, not not out of like malicious intent, but just. Because, you know, I thought at the time that it was sort of uh, unnecessary and kind of self-righteous, these people and, you know, the preachy, the preachy climate person. Do you, do you, did you, do you share some of that? Like, you know, were you in that joke cracking uh, sort of sphere as well? Yes. No question about it. Right. I mean, that's just because I think anytime there's a new wave or movement or school of thought those people are thought of as weird right you know the majority has to say there's something wrong with them so we we start cracking jokes on them because they're uncomfortable yes i would say the same thing right oh the, the prius driver of course you know what kind of person drives a prius right uh, or whatever it might be um and and that's unfortunate but i think you know you're an example that obviously <laughs> your journey led a lot of different ways and you, you look back and you're like, Hey, you know, what was I thinking back then? And were those people just, you know, further ahead of us saying, Hey, I'm driving this kind of car because I'm trying to do my part, you know, to reduce our carbon footprint. Right. Yeah. And I think some people do it for different reasons. Humans are tribal by nature. So some people just liked like, Hey, that was a community that accepted them. And, you know, they kind of, you know, uh, sort of, um, live in it, um, because we all, we all need our tribes. Um, you know, for me, it was frankly just misinformation or lack of information. Um, it's wasn't something that, uh, you know, there was, I didn't, in my, you know, middle school, high school, college, there were no environmental like programs right. or classes, as you mentioned from, you know, the, it wasn't a, something that, you know, you and, my mother really talked about at all. Um, and so a land, a landfill, I know that. <laughs> that could be to a landfill. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I know that, you know, that, uh, that was supposed to kickstart you. Okay. That's like, uh, you know, Trump bragging again and again that he, he blocked the flights from China. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you did one thing good. Um, but there are successive things you're supposed to do. Um, but, <laughs> so yeah sure thanks for the, thanks for the landfill visit um it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't amount to much <laughs> but way back more serious is that you know for you 10 well i'll say 8 10 12 15 years ago you had other priorities too right right or wrong but you, but you did right you want to have want to do this i want to do this you know whether it was business whether it was career whether it was you know whatever it might be right sure but if i'm being if i'm being honest it's it's not just priority, right? Cause it wasn't that, Oh, I have all this information and I know how important this is, but I'm prior, I'm, I'm still choosing to prioritize other things. I get it. Right. I mean, but I'm saying there wasn't even a lot of time to seek and, and listen or even be exposed to some of this, right? Because no, we get, we all get on treadmills, right? Especially in, you know, I'll say from 25 to sometimes 60, right? Uh, but certainly for some amount of time, you're, you're on a treadmill, whether it's, you know, work, work, family, combos, whatever. Um, sure. What I'll, what I'll, what I'll disagree with you there is like, we're kind of on a treadmill always, um, yes. And, and, and me, it's like for me, my nature of someone who always wants to build things and do things, I'm going to be on a treadmill until 
the day I'm dead. It doesn't matter how much financial success I have or don't have. It doesn't matter. Like my nature is I will be, I'm in a hamster wheel forever. Yeah. So so it's not, it's not that back then for me. And again, I can only talk about myself, but for me, I don't look back then and say, Hey, because I was so busy trying to get my career started, things like that. That's why, because I am just as busy now with work, if not more so actually, um, than I was back then. But, um, but now, you know, I have, I'm making space for, um, this work because I realize how important it is. And I did not have that realization information back then. So for me personally, and again, just, uh, I can only speak for myself. It wasn't a matter of, um, prioritization or being busy or, you know, because I had to get my career going. It was because I'm as busy, I am busier now. It was just a lack of information and, um, and a sort of, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, it just lack of awareness. Right. But we're saying the same thing at a different angle, right? I mean, you know, you're never going to be not busy because you're my son, right? I mean, that's how you're programmed, right? But in the same token, somehow, some way you were, found the time or made the time to get exposed to understand. And the more you started to understand about climate change, the more you got into it. And then you did give it more space, right? Whether it's in your choice of foods or spending more time shopping or more time preparing, you know, uh, any of the, the, the many things you do that, you know, others would say are inconvenient, right? Or take more time, right? So in one way, shape or form, right? That's what we're trying to get to with a lot of people, but it's how do we get to the to that? It's not just a pivot because it's just not a one one time thing. But you know, you're a very good example of that, right? I'm not saying you ignored it totally, but you know, now you're at a point where busy as ever, but yet you're going to make sure you make time for it. Yeah, and, and again, what I'm what I'm what I'm challenging and in, in generally is the the kind of prioritization, or I'm too busy to worry about. Um, climate kind of uh, just general rationale um, because we all can make time for things that are important to us. And it's exactly, and, I, um, that's, you know, like I think of yourself, right? Like you, you, even at the height of your busiest times, whether it was starting micro strategies, um, uh, having, uh, you know, having Robbie, uh, right. you still did a lot of work with um, uh, impoverished children, You've done a lot of work with local animal shelters. Um, you know, those are things that are important to you. Right. So like even at your busiest times, you've made time to still do that work. You've done a lot of work in your local community in Denville. Like that was just yeah. important. So, so I think it's, I, whenever I hear, Hey, I didn't, I, I wasn't paying attention. I was just too busy um, later in life, I, I get this sometimes from people, Hey, I will get to a place in life where I can start to, you know, make changes in my life and care about the environment. And I will always now challenge that because I think it's not a matter of, can you find the time? It's just a matter of, you know, do you, you know, do you, do you find, do you feel this is important enough to make the time? And by not making the time, then you're effectively saying, no, I don't think this is important enough to make the time. Um, more so than, yeah, I think this is important, but I don't have the time. Yes. So <laughs> that's usually the pushback, right? You would get from certainly someone like me, and I think a lot of others, because it sounds, because we're not that informed, I'm a little bit more informed now, but it sounds really hard and very time consuming, right? But what I've at least learned and been exposed to in short order is that, oh, you can do small things that don't require a lot of time or don't require even much change in your routine, right? And you slowly develop a new routine, you know, whether it's, hey, I'm going to, you know, try to buy local, right? Uh, You know, for for vegetables and fruit, produce, whatever, right? Um, You know, so... It, it sometimes you look at the people who are at the forefront or I look at you even and say, wow, Jay 
has done a lot of things, right? He's not only made tremendous changes in, in his life, which I don't know if I have the time to make all those changes, right? Uh, but he also finds time to, you know, uh, further the cause through, you know, education, whether it's local, whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's one-to-many, right? Boy, that's great, but I I'm not, and it, it just sounds way too hard for me. So I'm just going to say I don't have the time for that right now. Right. And we're going to get to, in just a minute, the kind of communication challenge yes. of, of climate, what I think you're kind of, you're kind of, you know, teetering around. I think it's also the, the chunking challenge because I think we got to get little bite-sized chunks for people to start to, to, to make small changes too. You know what I mean? But I, we can talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And those, and also that those small changes matter when, um, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes think, well, if you're not doing something major, what's the point? Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about that, but just as a precursor to that, I just want to touch on the, the class that you and I took this summer. Um, you know, it was something I asked you to take. We, uh, we tried to get Robbie to take it as well. Um, did not succeed on that front, but although, uh, to Robbie's credit, for, I'm I guess, not, I don't think anybody would have taken it with the two of us, but go ahead. Sure. But I was like, <laughs> well, I guess I should tell people Rob, Robbie is, uh, my half brother and your son. Um, yes. but, um, to his credit, he actually is uh, very environmental forward. Um, and, uh, and, and, and really does care about these things. He's also grown up in a generation where that is much more prevalent and popular. Um, but anyway, uh, put, put that aside for a moment. Um, the, uh, I asked you to take the class because, you know, I, I wanted to indoctrinate you in this world more in the way I've been, um, for, for several years now. Um, and you know, it seemed like the class had a, um, strong, um, impact on you. It, uh, you know, I know you're someone who is very analytical and data driven and, and, you know, actually seeing hard data, um, was, uh, was important versus kind of hand wavy stuff for you. Um, yes. and, and I, you know, I want to ask like what, first part of the question is what do you remember of like, what were the specific data points that stood out to you or what was, you know, is, was there one or two things that you look back on in that class we took and for context again, for listeners, it was a Coursera class from the university of Michigan. I very, very selectively chose the university of Michigan because I, I knew, I knew you needed to trust the information. <laughs> um, yes. and that is a school that you, uh, you got a, a degree from. Um, and so, uh, yeah, what stood out to you? What do you remember that was like, like, wow, like that, that's jarring. And that now, now I'm, I'm like rethinking this a little bit. And so that's the first part of the question is what stood out to you from that class. And the second part are, can you share some of those maybe smaller changes you started to make in your day-to-day -day life or even your day-to-day -day thinking or your day-to-day -day communication with people since finishing that class? And that just blew me away. Right. Because I had no idea. I mean, if you'd asked me prior to the course, the source of mission, I would have said, yeah, cars and factories. You know, that's it. Right. Very shallow kind of answer. Right. So I don't remember the data specifically. I remember that many of the statistics were so jarring. Right. That even from an engineer or an analytical standpoint, I'm like, even if they're off by a factor of two. Right. Um, the numbers are still alarming. Right because we can all poke holes in scientific evidence and proof and theories and everything else. But um, so that, that kind of definitely got me to pause and, 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 you know, the, the other information um, I think I thought I knew some of it, but I think a lot of it was the, um, the, the possible, the rate of acceleration um, it was more alarming, right? You know, so it might've taken me from centuries to decades and I'm not using those as the exact terms, but that kind of change. Um, you know, what it did for me is it kind of reinforced some things I'll say I, or we, Carol Ann and I, you know, we're casually doing, um, yes, we recycled, yes, we did this, but, you know, being more conscious and then more conscious of, 
you're doing a job of recycling, but it's the stuff up front you got to worry about, right? Like, why do you have to buy the thing with all the packaging or can't you buy vegetables this way or that way, right? All of a sudden, I began to look at packaging differently, right? Correct. Recycling is far from a, a perfect process. Um, for, for folks listening, a lot of things you send to your municipal recycling plant don't get recycled in full. And, uh, it also takes energy, right. To recycle and run those, run those machines. So, yeah. Right. So if you could eliminate the plastic bottle altogether, you don't have to recycle the plastic bottle, right? That's, that's the whole idea. So those types of things, right. Um, you know, it woke me up to seeing how reliant, not reliant, but we choose a lot of paper products, even in our house. Right. And I'm like, you know what? I know using a dish or a cup, you got to wash it and stuff, but it's certainly it's it's better for the environment if you wash it properly. Don't leave the water running, you know, things like that. So I think there's small changes there. And yeah, while I haven't gone out and you know replaced the cars, um, you know, I definitely think I could have made a different choice. We probably bought two cars in the last twelve or eighteen months, um, but we usually buy them every few years. So I think there'll be different choices there. I mean, yeah, these are more fuel efficient, but um, it's way more than what I need for one person driving 90% of the time or whatever in one car, you know, that kind of thing. It just, again, makes you think differently. Right. Um, and I think it, it, it also lets me look at some purchases and companies, right? Not, I don't want to say every single purchase I'm trying to find out the company, uh, is doing the right thing environmentally, but, um, I'll keep my eyes open. I do read, you know, the Wall Street Journal. I can't, I wish I'd say every day, but that's my newspaper. And and I just like the business world. And uh, those kind of things are interesting when, when companies are, are, are doing or not doing what I consider more of the right thing now with respect to, you know, the environment and climate change. then that's a good segue into the next question, which, you know, I, I, I was, I, I made a point to uh, try to avoid as much as possible in this, in this recording to talk about uh, politics, the election. You've only done it twice so far, but go ahead. I'm not keeping track or anything. Yeah. You're not keeping track. <laughs> uh, <laughs> twice in an hour is not bad. Come on. Uh, given, given, given we're, given we're, as of now we're recording it, we're three days from it. It's, it's a little bit top of mind. We're going to end but, with a bang here. Yep. So, you know, without the need to share who you're voting for, um, I'll leave that up to you. Um, but just how, how, how is, is, is the climate issue, how has it factored in at all to your decision? Maybe not just not your decision on presidential, but on other officials, uh, even on local elections, things like that. Um, has it started to become a factor for you? Is it not there yet for you? Um, it's, it's, I'm thinking about it a lot more, right? Um, let me give you one quick example, then I'll come back to the meat of your question, right? So um, I'm now living outside of Charleston, as you know, South Carolina. Um, my vote is still a New Jersey absentee ballot. So I'm not voting down here, but obviously I can't help but hear, you know, commercials, media, the news, you know, signs, whatever, um, about the local politics. And, and one issue that has come up quite a bit is offshore drilling, right? Um, and it's interesting that most of them are just worried about the cosmetics. They don't want the, the offshore drilling in the, in the uh, horizon. Right. That's what they're worried about. And I think like they're, they're missing the point of the issue here. But um, I've paid much more attention to that issue here locally, even though I can't I'm not voting down here because I think I'm more sensitive to those things now. Now, on the grander scale, whether it's, you know, uh, president or you know local officials and things like that, um, again, I'm, I'm listening more now. Um, and sometimes just listening for omission, right? Because I think many people, politicians, people running, don't talk about it because 
it's not a hot issue, right? And I think we got so many issues that are so hot today, right? Um, that it's not there. I think if this would have been, you know, what I think we can all agree on would, would have been a normal election. I don't care what side you're on, you know, kind of a normal election that we've, we've had at least since I've been around. Um, I think these kinds of issues would have got a lot more airtime, right? But I think given the situation, given the players, given everything that's been going on here, um, you know, nobody has really even brought the issue up in any great detail, right? Um, on the, on the, in the, uh, you talking about locally or on the presidential election? On the presidential side. It's certainly right. You don't think either candidate has brought it up? Well, it hasn't. They've brought it up, but I mean, it, it, and we certainly know where the candidates stand on it, right? At least from a uh, sort ideological of. We know where, standpoint. Ideologically, we know details about where Biden stands on it. We have no details on Trump's plans. He hasn't put anything forward as his nature generally. Um, Biden has put a plan together. Now you can cr critique it, but at least he's put something forward on like, Hey, I don't want to get into politicking, right? Whether it's better to put a plan together and then not implement it, or it's better to keep your mouth shut. Right. Because that's politicking, right? You're asking me, has there been, ha where's the issue been for me? Right. And it hasn't been that high in this election only because there are so many other burning issues right now. Right. Um, that I think I have to listen. Do you see that changing? I guess, even though it's not very high for you right now, would A, would you say it's at least more top of mind than in the 2016 election? And then, you know, it's always hard forecasting the future of the crystal ball, but do you think, you know, in 2024, it may be even more top of mind? Do you think you're moving that direction? Moving in that direction, yes, but I'd also think that, and I don't want to think that it's like either it's it's not a binary either. I'm thinking about it or I'm not. But you know, I might look at you know uh, global diplomacy, right? Which candidate, which party, which representative, whatever, which governor, right? Not maybe not governor, but you know, would have a better time of doing uh, being a better diplomat globally. And I may want that for a number of reasons, but one of them for sure is because we've got a climate change issue that unless you have, you know, global alliances, don't have to be all be your friends, but at least alliances, right? We're going to have a hard time solving this stuff. So while it may not be a climate change issue, it could be one of my other top issues that certainly climate change becomes a, uh, what would you call it? A, a dependent thing of that issue, right? So if I want climate change, you need diplomacy and diplomacy is important for me because I think being diplomatic is is very, very important, especially at uh, you know, the, a presidential level or having good foreign relations. And which candidate do you feel does a better job with that? Um, I don't know yet, right? Um, I don't know how, how Biden would do, um, but... We we could we could say uh, Trump's done a poor job, but at the same token, I don't like being walked on either, right? So um, there's a fine line here, right? Um, but sure, I, I mean I get that. I mean I get to a degree like sometimes you need to stand up for your own, but right. I, I think it's we can probably both agree that no one would describe the behavior and man and manner of conduct of Donald Trump as diplomatic. Um, see now we're getting away from we're getting away from climate change right i know but <laughs> you brought us here so um yes you know, there are there are scary scenarios on the other side where if sleepy joe isn't with us very long i don't think the next in line is very diplomatic yeah but i don't, I don't think i don't uh, Joe certainly is has shown his age and will continue to. I don't think he's going to kick the bucket in the next four years. <laughs> um, getting back to climate, well, how do you think we make climate change less political and more bipartisan? Because it is troubling that it has been pushed, you know, in kind of like, you know, for for the for the for those that are not very informed about it on either side of the political fence, which is a majority of people now because a majority of people can't primarily consume headlines, right? They don't read a lot of things. That is an increasing problem in society. And so what's been happening, I see, is that majority of people, climate change is seen as a liberal issue and 
um, you know, kind of ignoring it, so to speak, is seen as a conservative, you know, pillar. And that is very troubling to me because it shouldn't be political. Uh, it shouldn't be so politicized. Like how we address it might differ, but the, the, the idea of it existing and being a problem should be apolitical, should be bipartisan, but it's not right now. And the media probably has a lot to do with this blame, but putting blame aside, how do you think we address it? How, how do you think we make climate change a bipartisan issue? Yeah. And, and, and you're spot on, right? I mean, somehow, and I must have blinked, but climate change became political, right? And it shouldn't be. There are many things in my mind that really aren't political, right? But they become political, right? You could say, you know, I mean, I know I agree with many people, conservative and liberal on immigration, on the end game for immigration, but how to get there, that's where people disagree, right? Um, so with climate change, I think it's even more so that if you sit down and have a reasonable discussion, right? And like even in the, the, the course I took with you for Coursera, right? It's just basically presenting some facts and preventing, you know, some videos and things like that. And you start to realize, okay, we, sh we should have, you know, this kind of engagement, right, around it. But um, it ends up becoming, you know, much more of a, a liberal issue, right, um, than, a, than a conservative issue. And I think if you get both parties to sit down, they would both end up kind of probably coming closer to the center because I don't think a lot of us disagree on some of this stuff. Um, I still goes back to whether you want to call it a priority or how much we should spend on it, right? You know, again, if you had $10 and you solve all the political problems today, how much would you spend on climate change, right? You know, people might say, oh, I got healthcare, I got, you know, other education, I got housing, I got other more important issues to, to work on right now. Now, how do we do that? I think is the crust of the question. I think it's it's it, it's got to be the. <laughs> it sounds kind of funny, but maybe the you know Smokey Bear approach, right? Um, you know, and uh, I think most of your listeners are probably too young, but it was a big you know TV media ad about only you can prevent forest fires, and this was back in the days where people were just camping and and you know small areas of forest were burning down, not like we have today, but it was just because they were careless with their fires or cigarettes or whatever it might be. But it became a huge campaign that people remembered, right? Um, and I think that's what we need to do. It's got to be messaging on small things that we can do, right? Um, and some of it may have to be, you know, legislated, right? I mean, whether you talk about paper bags, plastic bags, no bags, things like that, right? But um, I think there has to be, a lot of small chunks, as we talked about a while ago, that we can push forward without having to get this grandiose agreement bipartisan on what's the best approach to solving the very complex problem of climate change. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's it's a it's something we have to just continue to chip away at, and we have to sort of move climate back into the middle, so to speak, on the political right. spectrum. And I think to your point earlier, if it gets into the education system, like you said, like I wasn't educated on anything environmental, you had very little exposure, you know, from at least your schooling, right? But I think they are going to be doing more and more of that, or we should be doing more of that just on a, you know, a regular basis through all this, through all the education systems. Yeah. Unfortunately, that gets politicized as well. Um, right. New Jersey, you may be familiar with this passed a bill requiring um, some, you know, basic environmental classes uh, be put into public schools. I forget, I think it was K through 12. I forget exactly the grade right. level, but a number of kind of local, um, you know, Republican officials, um, yeah, just uh, spoke up against it saying there's just other priorities in education. We shouldn't be worried about this right now. And so again, it just becomes politicized when it's like, Hey, why not just educate the youth? <laughs> like, why is right. why is this even an argument? I uh, know, but I mean, and yes, education, you're right, does become political. You know, what should kids be taught, <laughs> right? Um, Correct. But yeah, we, we have to find ways, right? I mean, at least today, there's so many more media outlets than just the classroom, 
fortunately, unfortunately, but there are other ways to reach the youth because I think a lot of it is still the youth, right? Um, you know, who, who will kind of be the bearers of this for many, many decades. Not that everybody, including me, who... They're inheriting um, the problem, but I will say the decisions we make from a... just If you just look at the science right. um, and the climate reports, the decisions we make in the next 10 years are going to probably be way more important than decisions we make yeah. 10 years after that. And for the next 10 years, it's not the youth that are going to be running governments and corporations. And so like th there is, you know, I, 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 there is a, a need to, you know, to get people from your generation down to mine right. who are, is uh, that's the, that's the sort of body that is in power and will be in power for the next 10 years. Right. Um, way more uh, on board um, and, and way more up to date on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, that's not an easy nut to crack. Right. I mean, like you say, you want to educate people between the ages of 30 and 60 or 30 and 70, whatever, right? Well, that, that's kind of the next and last question I have here is, you know, there's there's millions of Americans, you know, that are in, you know, kind of your shoes, right? In the shoes that, um, right. in a sense of, you know, just hardworking, honest, family-oriented, value-oriented people that um, are busy. American is a busy society mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, deep down good people, um, but, you know, have not really prioritized this at all, whether they're in like powerful positions or not. Um, some are, some are not, but in both cases, they're not prioritizing this. Uh, they're not as informed, you know, what would you say, like, even to yourself, let's put it in a different way. If you could talk to yourself five years ago, yourself today, what would you tell that person um, and others like like you. So, if I could talk to myself five years ago in 2015, knowing what I know today, you're saying? Yeah. Um, I think I would have made just off the top of my head different automobile purchase decisions. Right. I mean that. I hate to say it, but it would have been an easy one. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, even like the small, I think, you know, heating, fueling, you know, air conditioning, the house, all that kind of consumption in the house. I've been a fairly good, you know, consumer of that from an insulation and things like that conservation there because it's, it's economics to me. Right. But, um, so probably not a lot of changes there. Certainly, um, I, I still get flabbergasted by the amount of emissions caused by food, right? You know, the, the, the processing and the, the making of the food, right? Um, it, it just astounds me, right? So I think that's something that I would have had my former self spend a lot more time thinking about, um, you know, to get me where I hope to be five years from now, which is not going to be a vegan. I know that, um, but it's hopefully going to be a, a diet that kind of recognizes a little better what, what the challenges we have in front of us, you know, with the climate and, you know, things that I could do, uh, you know, myself. Let, let me ask you on a, on a different, um, spectrum. So what, there's two parts of individual action, I would say. Right. Um, one part is the, 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 what you're talking about is those consumption consumer choices you make. Right. Another part is how often, this is a dialogue point when you're talking to friends and family and colleagues, you know, whether it's like, whether you're talking to Steve, the Groot or, you know, um, or Anna Marie. And that's where I think some of the, the actions spark the conversation, right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody says, geez, you know, you're, you didn't have the steak, you know, why didn't you have the steak? Well, you know, I really enjoy this too. Right. And, you know, quite honestly, there's a lot going on with that steak, <laughs> right? And that may spark those kind of conversations, like what you said, with my, with my buddies, whether they're, you know, old college buddies like Steve or, you know, uh, you know, work associates and things like that. Um, I, I'm probably not the person that's ever going to go to say, hey, you know, I'm having a salad, this guy's having a burger and going, you know what, that burger you're eating, it's really messing up the climate, right? I'm never going to be that guy, right? But um, I do hope that through actions and changes I'm making, 
right? Um, you know, people will understand that, right? So if you, you know, are at my house and there's a, a, a cloth napkin versus paper napkins, right? I mean, some of this, I like that, but also I realize now that's better for the environment than using paper napkins and throwing them out every day. If you think about your your close friends, and I think of people like right. like Steve, like Tommy, like Kevin, like Keith. Right. Where today would you say, like, you know, within that that circle, are you, you know, kind of more climate crisis oriented uh, than your friends? And do you think now you you bear some responsibility for bringing them along as I've tried to bring, you know, kind of you along to a degree on this topic? Or do you think they're, they're like, you're like, you guys are in the same, you know, kind of same shoes right now? Or where, how do you think about that? But no, I think I, I think I can't speak for all of them, because, you know, they may have more, you know, uh, advanced views or different views. And I, I think they have, but yeah, I would say I'm probably more advanced than my, um, you know, the, the people I kind of associate with or hang out with right in general, um, with it comes to the climate change and the urgency level. And I'll say, I feel maybe some responsibility, right. And it's something that, you know, I'm very open to talking with them about a number of different topics. I've known most of them for, you know, 40 years. Right. Um, and I think that it will happen. And I think because, uh, you know, when we, when we generally get together, we talk about, you know, what's going on with our kids since we all, all have adult kids now. So, um, you know, certainly when, when you come up, I talk about a lot of things you're doing, right. As well as what we've been doing, which is the climate change course and how it has, has, has had an impact. And that even in the, even in the recent past, um, in some of my discussions with different people, you know, had has led to, what are you talking about? You know, and hopefully I've gotten them to, I don't have the, the tools yet and they're at my disposal, I know, but hopefully they've gone back and maybe Googled something that I might've said or that I referred to, mm -hmm. right? But I think, you know, I may want to get to that next level and say, hey, here's a web link or here's a good site to go to if you want to get started, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, this is, uh, I mean, it, it, it is just the awareness and I thank you uh, for the kind of courage to say, Hey, Dad, why don't we take this course together to see what it's about? Yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. Um, I think, you know, you and I will continue to have these conversations as, um, and you know, it's, it's something to, I'm always learning as well. Um, there's, uh, for the listeners, there's an episode coming up, uh, shortly around, around a kind of deeper dive on the wildfires and a lot of different perspectives. And I, and in that episode, I talked to uh, kind of a lifelong mechanic who does does work for ranchers um, and you know agriculture professionals in Fresno, California, who who kind of opened me up to some some different thinking around what you know what what's kind of behind the increase in the fires. And we're always like you know kind of we always need to sort of continue to just gather information um, and, and learn and grow in that, in that way. Um, which is my biggest worry of like just a society that is, you know, primarily gathering headlines and reacting to headlines and going to the next headline, not doing a lot of information, deeper information right. consumption that was more common in your generation. Um, and so, yeah, well, you know, I think the most important thing to do as important as not more important than those individual behavior changes is just continue to have these conversations with, with those around you. So, with that, we can kind of wrap it up. Appreciate you having the conversation here for all those listening. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just keep, keep both of us keep, keep progressing on this, on this uh, subject matter. They're great dialogues that Jay and I, and I love having them, uh, uh, especially when we disagree on certain things, but I think it's important that, you know, you kind of see where I come from and I even say generationally, and it's very insightful for me to see, you know, uh, where you're at and, you know, the journey you've been on. So I think, uh, you know, that helps me a lot with, uh, you know, kind of the, the zeal to learn more and want to learn more and, and to keep learning and, and, and making, you know, some type of impact for the future generations. <laughs>